helpful part of a series arc is dragging people to the next episode and going, you learned all that just then well wait until you hear what's in the next episode. I realised that you'd actually used me as the dramatic climax or my ignorance as the dramatic climax for that episode One of the things that we really like to do is reward people for having listened to previous episodes every time Kevin Rudd would arrive I'd go, "Uh, Kevin Rudd's back Arriving in Peking Railway Station, being greeted by someone from the embassy, was like walking onto a film set in about 1941. Kevin Rudd's back. Nihal. So I'm uh, Matt Bevan. I'm the host of China, if you're listening, which is an ABC podcast. And today I'm going to give you a masterclass on podcast season arcs. Hello and welcome to season two of the Masterclass podcast. I'm Louisa Lim and I teach podcasting at the University of Melbourne. Every episode, we're talking to a master of podcasting about one aspect of the craft. And this week, we're talking about how to plot your season arc with Matt Bevan from the ABC. He hosts China, if you're listening. It's a series he says he did because he wanted to improve the quality and accuracy of his China-related dinner party conversation. In fact, that downplays what's a really ambitious project, condensing all of China's recent history and its ties with Australia into just six episodes. I began by asking Matt why he decided to structure the series thematically and not chronologically. Well, doing it thematically is something that we've been doing for the last, including this one, three seasons. Basically, we've found that doing things thematically really allows you to uh, tell a story in a much more uh, easily understandable way rather than getting distracted by events that aren't necessarily directly connected to the story that you're telling. And and, and what we see ourselves as is a, a storytelling podcast. We're here to tell stories. We're not here to necessarily dump historical information on you. That being said, we did try – we did – compress a lot of historical information into into six episodes. Basically, six chronological stories that don't necessarily interweave with each other, but the thing that we really wanted to do, and this is the part that goes along with series arcs, is we really wanted to make sure that we gave people information in episode one that would be useful to them later on in the series. When you're telling really complicated stories like this, the thing that can be really hard is making sure that you don't assume knowledge of your audience, but also making sure that you're not going over the same territory every every time you're uh, you get to a, a topic. So we decided that we would structure the podcast so that we would introduce a whole bunch of main characters uh, in Chinese history in the first episode, mainly uh, introducing Mao, the Cultural Revolution, and the current president Xi Jinping, all in. The first episode, so that in later episodes, we didn't have to go, so here's who Mao is, blah, 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 blah. But we also couldn't necessarily assume that people would know uh, who Mao is. And the reason that I didn't want to assume that is I did uh, focus group testing on my own family and went, okay, tell me everything you know about Mao. And then I was like, how far do they get? And if they don't get very far, then I'm like, okay, so I'm going to need to make sure that we can tell them as much as they need to know about Mao in order for the for the rest of the series to make sense. So yeah, that's that's the main thing that we did in terms of a series arc was 
uh, introducing people early on and, and concepts early on that we could then rely on in later episodes. So that's funny that you mentioned you focus group tested on your family because we were just talking about who the audience was and now we know it was like members of your own family, <laughs> your immediate audience at least. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, the, it's, it's an interesting way of testing it because, well, it, it's not just my own family. We also have some colleagues that we send the episodes to and discuss and discuss things with. Uh, but my very good friend and, and mentor, uh, Linda Mottram, is the um, presenter of PM, uh, which is a you know big uh, national radio program. She's an extremely experienced foreign correspondent. And the thing is that, you know, she was who I was talking about, talking to about early ideas and she has a very high level of knowledge about all these issues uh, because, uh, you know, in the early seasons we were talking about Russia and she lived for many years as the ABC's Russia correspondent in Russia and so had a very high level of assumed knowledge. And so I went, okay, so I need to make a podcast that Linda will find that she learns new things in, but also my sister, who is uh, not engaged in the news generally at all, will also be able to understand. So it's a very complicated net to cast, but it's about, yeah, making sure that you don't assume too much of people, but also you'd make sure that you provide new things for people who do know a lot about, about the topic. And I think you did that really well. And one of the ways that you did that was with this cast of characters that you had that included two Australian prime ministers, um, including Kevin Rudd. And I mean, let's listen to a clip from Kevin Rudd talking about his impression of Xi Jinping, who he'd known sort of quite early in his career. And I really like this one because I think you really have the feeling that you're a fly on the diplomatic wall. And I remember sitting with him in front of the fire at the lodge because it was June. It was 2010, the depths of a Canberra winter. Tsi had worked his way through the political ranks, from mayor to governor to the top committee of the Communist Party, the Politburo. He was vice president and was yet to rise to the top job. He had a profound sense of the history of his own country, a deep knowledge of the history of the, his own party, as you would expect, and therefore in my early judgment of him, saw himself very much as, quote, the man of destiny, that is, someone who could reshape China's future. Kevin Rudd had done well in his career too. He was now Prime Minister of Australia. I think altogether we had four or five sets of meetings because I knew that he was going to be president soon. As the two men sat talking, warming themselves by the fire, Whispered conversations were taking place behind closed doors in Parliament House. They began to discuss the possibility of a future after Kevin Rudd. Numbers were being counted. They said that they did not believe that Kevin Rudd could win the next election and that Julia Gillard could. While Tsi's star was on the rise, Rudd would lose his job as Prime Minister within days. By the way, this was on the eve of the coup against me within the Labour Party by the factions. I should have been attending more to the factions of the Australian Labour Party than the factions of the Chinese Communist Party at the time. But that's another story. So that's so efficient. One minute 30, where you just sum up everything and you've got your sort of episode title, Man of Destiny, that was gifted to you by Kevin Rudd. I mean, did you decide the series arc before securing the guests or did you get the guests first or how did those decisions happen? Yeah, well, well we decided the series arc first and, and in fact for this series more than previous ones we wrote a lot of 
the script before we did the interviews and then went, all right, so then we want to tell this story about this person. This is where we want to get to, blah, blah, blah. These are the bits of information we must get out of this guest in order for the episode to work and for the story to be able to be told. And, and that's not something that we've generally done in the past. Usually I just uh, do a, a really long interview and ask all the questions I can think of and, and follow up the questions and, and basically nail the guest there for as long as possible until I run out of things to ask them or they, you know, <laughs> run out of the building. Uh, and then we piece it together back based on what we got into making the episodes. That's what we had done previously. But what we tried this time is by is by really pre-scripting uh, so Kevin Rudd will say this. He'll talk about the first time that he met Xi Jinping and uh, then he'll talk about the time that he met him in uh, 2010 and I'll ask him, uh, what did you talk about? And I'll ask him, what did you, uh, what was your impression of him? And I'll ask him, you know, was it a mistake to spend so much time with Xi Jinping when it was literally at the exact same time as uh, your colleagues were figuring out how to roll you in the next room? <laughs> oh, no, no, he was in the lodge, but in, in Parliament House. They were conspiring against him literally at the same time. And so, you know, I asked him all those questions and I sort of planned for him to have good answers and hoped that he would. And generally that worked with pretty much everyone. That was with our first round of interviews and then things that we couldn't get from our first round of interviews, we would then find new people to interview and and ask them questions and that sort of thing. But the key thing that made this work and made that that scene work as well as it did was to tell the people, and, and this is particularly important with the politicians we spoke to, we are not interested in a political discussion. We don't want to talk about politics. We don't want to talk about whether you made a good decision or a bad decision or whether the, the opposition hit you unfairly on this topic. Don't care about any of that. What we want is good stories. We want you to set scenes. We want you to describe where you were, describe the fire, describe uh, you know what you were thinking and feeling at the time, uh, which Kevin Rudd particularly took that and ran with it he he just kept going had so many stories and he he loves telling stories and he he was actually a bit sick when he was when I was talking to him uh but he sort of shrugged that off about 15 minutes in and uh and charged through and told gave us all this great material that we ended up we only wanted to use him in one episode but we ended up using him in three because he he gave us so much good stuff so um yeah so that was that was really uh, really helpful yeah so i guess i had a bit of a um a view from inside the sausage factory, so to speak, because I was one of the people that you interviewed. And I did, when you interviewed me, I got the sense that you'd very clearly mapped out where you were going, the architecture for the piece. But it was after the, the episode came out, people kept mentioning this one particular part that I was in. And I realized that you'd actually used me as the dramatic climax or my ignorance as the dramatic climax for that episode. And maybe let's play that. There was one more surprise in store. So where is Xi Jinping? Xi Jinping disappeared. Nobody could tell what had happened to him. Censors blocked discussion about it on Chinese social media after people started speculating. The rumour mill has been swirling like crazy about Xi Jinping. He's had an accident, a heart attack, even a potential assassination attempt. The historians will tell us one day what actually happened in 2012, but Xi Jinping, I think, worked out that there were people who were prepared to do him in uh, for the leadership. Now, we don't have a real handle on the critical developments of that year yet. 
Um, but it's fascinating. No sign of him or any mention of him at all in Chinese media for two whole weeks. You know, eventually he surfaced again and no one really knew what had happened at that time. What do we think that was about? You know, to, you know, nearly 10 years on, what did we think happened there? I literally have no idea, do you? <laughs> I don't. It's kind of wild that we don't know what that was about. Just after re-emerging, the party appointed Xi Jinping General Secretary of the Communist Party and President of China. If you're going to be honest, the Chinese leadership is a black box. Very few people know what kind of machinations go on inside the upper echelons of, of the Communist Party. And that mysterious black box hid what kind of leader Xi Jinping would become. The fact that almost no one predicted that he would be this sort of ethno-nationalist or techno-nationalist authoritarian leader, that just shows us how little um, oversight we have on China's leadership and, it, and its, its workings. So there I am, advertising my ignorance to the world. But I guess my question to you is, in your planning, does that include this kind of dr dramatic climax to each piece or do you just sort of find that as you go along no that no i found that as i went along Def definitely particularly with that with that moment with you i remember <laughs> i remember recording and 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 you know we were talking about you know what had happened and he disappeared and you know no one knew where he was and all that sort of thing and i was like i, I was I, i'd i'd asked you all the questions i'd planned and i was like what was it you know like you know what what happened here yeah, and, and isn't it insane that we don't know what happened? And you were like, "Well, I don't know. Do you know what happened?" And it was just, <laughs> and and the way he delivered the delivered the the line was so good that I was like, "Okay, so we'll put that in." The thing about that moment was we told this story, but we ended up with all these questions. And the perfect way to illustrate that was with you going, "Look, it's basically impossible to understand these things because no, and, and I don't think it was an." An advertisement of your ignorance in particular, but of the fact that even sitting there watching it in, you know, in country, watching what was happening, it's so difficult to understand what's happening uh, and so difficult to, to get it. But no, that, that, was, that was not planned. That was uh, your excellent performance that I decided to include. <laughs> Incredibly, yes, my incredible ignorance. So, I mean, this is the fifth season that you've done. What have you learned about crafting season arcs across those five seasons? Well, we did a massive change and we've done sort of a, a number of different ways of, of crafting a season arc. These la latter seasons, you kind of can listen to one episode without listening to the previous ones. Particularly the fourth series we did was basically an overarching look at the Trump presidency. We covered nine topics, uh, you know, from his handling of natural disasters, guns, racial inequality, and and the George Floyd uh, saga, the coronavirus, uh, various other things. And each one of those episodes was essentially self-contained and not much of an arc. We sort of vaguely kept it to sort of a vague chronology. If you'd listened to each episode out of order, it wouldn't have made a lot of difference. But with season three, which was about Russia's interference in European uh, democracy, basically, in, in various different ways, that was a very clear, you must listen to these episodes in order. And we did it chronologically. 
and we sort of described it as sort of Putin's rise in popularity and then things starting to fall apart for him towards the end. And so we started with Ukraine and his uh, invasion of Ukraine, which was such an important moment for him and kind of his introduction to the world as a, a really, you know, serious guy that really needs to be uh, taken seriously. He's taking parts of other countries. Uh, it also was a, a big spike. It caused a big spike in popularity at home for him. And then we talked about what he did with that power for four years. And then we talked about when it started to fall apart for him domestically in 2018. And the thing that we did was each episode really did lead into the next one. Each episode really, it was important that you listen to each one in order and we set things up that were then used in the next episode and, and, and so on and so forth. In the first series, it was almost all chronological. We did it based on characters and it was all about, sorry, the, the first series was all about the Mueller investigation into uh, Russian involvement in the 2016 US presidential election. And we chose our characters and we chose the way that told, that we told the story very chronologically. Uh, we started with, uh, you know, a guy, the, the guy, uh, George Papadopoulos, who kind of was the first guy to blab about something going on with Russia. We started with him. We went through and, you know, we ended up with Robert Mueller in the very end. And that was a very chronological thing uh, and, and also needed to be listened to in order. But we kind of, it was always something that my producers, uh, Will and Yaz, didn't like very much. That fact, the fact that I kept doing things in order and saying, you have to have listened to this one before you listen to that one, they said, you know, making them more self-contained is going to leave the audience with a better experience. And that doesn't mean that you can't do a narrative arc, but what they said was that you need to have a self-contained story. You can go, these elements play on through the series, but this story, if you were to listen to it on its own, a, a person, you know, would get it, would, would get a satisfying experience out of it and not feel like they were completely lost. We started doing that and, you know, the number of listeners that we had went up. And so. Oh, isn't that interesting? So the audience responded to a thematic approach. Well, it's hard to say. I mean, it, it's hard to say definitively whether that's what it was, but, you know, it's kind of like an election. When something works, you kind of claim that it's it's this that, that did it and, and that that did it. Uh, you know, it, it could simply have been that we built on our audience. Having said that, our audience did uh, build, drop, then build again as we went along. Yeah, I, I think the thematic approach probably worked. Uh, having said that, I personally like listening to a story that is told slowly over a whole series. Listen to an episode, forget about it for five weeks, listen to another episode and not go, oh, I'm totally lost. What was I talking about? As long as they can remember who the main characters are, then you, they should be able to carry along through. That's that's basically what we've been trying in the latter series. And I feel that podcast listening has changed a bit that in the early days, you could demand that of your audience, that they would stick with you, that they would remember the cast of characters. But now there are so many choices out there. You've got to make it a bit easier if you want to take your audience with you. Mm. You don't know how many other podcasts people are listening to in between your two episodes. You know, back back in the days when there was just Serial and S-Town and... Um, uh, you know, and the rest was all just, uh, you know, comedians riffing, you could probably get away with that. But now there is, you know, there's, you know, four or five separate true crime podcasts going on at the moment in Australia being rolled out. 
all of which are a running theme and you've got to follow it and you don't know how many others your audience are listening to in between. So you've got to make sure that you reestablish it. But sitting there and going, all right, so you remember what we said in episode one and blah, 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 retelling that story can get a little tedious unless you do it well and you do it tightly and you stick to what's the, what's important for what you're about to tell them. Give us your two top tips for podcast season arcs. The biggest tip that I have is think a lot about the end of each episode and and telling people how what they've just learned is going to help them understand more in the next episode. Then when you get to the next episode, you can kind of retell what you needed to retell or only incorporate that in a little part of the storyline. But the most helpful part of a series arc is dragging people to the next episode and going, you learned all that just then. Well, wait until you hear what's in the next episode because uh, it's going to be like that and double it, you know, or whatever it is. You don't rely on cliches like that. But we think a lot about the end of our episodes. The thing that we rewrite the most is the last minute and a half of each episode and explaining why you you heard all this, now you need to listen to the next thing. To be honest, I'm not sure how many people listen to it. Uh, I don't know how many people hear the theme tune and just go, all right, that's the end of the episode and turn it off. That's possible. We have no research on that, but we pay a lot of attention to that and teasing people into the next episode. One of the things that we really like to do is reward people for having listened to previous episodes as well. And you can do that in ways that doesn't punish people if they haven't listened to it. And you do that with little running jokes. We've done things where we bring back old pieces of music that we've used in previous episodes previously, for example, and we'll go, well, you know what this piece of music means? That means a spy is about to arrive. Or as we did through this series, every time Kevin Rudd would arrive, I'd go, hey, Kevin Rudd's back. He's back, you know, you can't get rid of him. He's been lurking around here. We can't get rid of Kevin Rudd. Um, and we, we did that a little bit. And to be honest, one of the bits of the series that I got the most feedback about was a bit in episode three where we were charging along through the story and then we would hear Kevin Rudd just launches in going, Ni hao! And I go, Kevin Rudd is back, as though he'd burst in through the door. Uh, you know, I've, I've got to tell you more about, you know, my story and my experience. I've got so many takes on China. And it was a lot of people texted me about this, that, that bit. And it was a reward for people who had heard the earlier series. Iron ore is a mineral found in the dirt. You dig it up, you heat it, you pop in some other stuff, and boom, you've got steel. And right as China's need for this special dirt was gaining momentum, a fellow from country Queensland was arriving there to start a new job. Arriving in Peking Railway Station, being greeted by someone from the embassy, was like walking onto a film set in about 1941. Kevin Rudd's back. Ni hao. And in the 80s, he wasn't in politics yet. So that's what we've learned more recently. Had I had been having this conversation with you after series three, which was the one that we did most of a series arc on, it would be have a big whiteboard and write down the links between the episodes. We need to set this up in that episode so that this bit of this episode makes sense. Uh, and we did a lot of that. We had a giant whiteboard. It looked like a giant 
you know, psychopaths conspiracy board because we were drawing lines and all that sort of thing all over. I've got a photo of it somewhere. It's, it, yeah, it, it's disturbing. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, it was something that we made sure so that we didn't edit out in the process of editing episode two, we didn't edit out a bit that was important for episode five. It would remind us this bit's important for later. And when you're trying to produce nine episodes, which is what we did for that series, and you've got nine episodes in your head, it can be difficult to remember what's important and why you've got this there and why that's there and why they connect to each other. Uh, so, yeah, make sure you write down why you need these things to exist in order for uh, later episodes to make sense as well. Um, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed it. Anytime. Masterclass is produced by Andy Hazel and myself and edited by Andy Hazel. The original concept is by Anders Furs. Our theme tune is by Susie Wilkins. And it's all brought to you by the Centre for Advancing Journalism at the University of Melbourne.